I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of John. The past couple of weeks, we've talked about God as our Father. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, I'd encourage you to go back and listen so you have a good foundation of where we're going. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what, it mean, what family means in the family of God. And, uh, you know, I believe that we're going to spend some time talking about this, our place in the family of God. But um, we're going to see through Scripture what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a, a godly child, what it means to be a godly spouse, what it means to be single and serving God and how God can use you in that area. So everybody's going to get touched in some area, but before we do any of that, it's so important that before you know how to be a father, you have to know how the father God relates to you, how he relates to you. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and I encourage you to go back and listen, but I do believe that most of our hang-ups and our baggage that is so attached to father and mother, these experiences growing up, that God doesn't just leave those alone and say, shove them somewhere behind the bushes and just move on with your life. But I believe that in the revelation of who he is, he takes those crooked places and makes them straight again. He takes the valleys and he fills them up. He takes the mountains and he levels them that a way would be prepared for the Lord. And I truly believe that as you get to know him as father, it's like we said a couple of weeks back, it's not a mistake that he uses that term. He could have used a word. He could have used a, a name, a term that you had no connection to, that you had no baggage with. But he chose Father because in, in knowing him as Father, it heals all these other places in your own heart, in your own soul. And I encourage you to, to before we do anything for the Lord, I, I know you're going to do great things in the kingdom of God, but before you attempt to do anything for the Lord, first know who you are. Know who you are as his child. Because everything good is going to flow out of that. Everything good is going to flow out of your identity in Christ. Um, that's where the fruit's going to come from. I, I look at Jesus' life, and, and we're starting in John. We're going to start in the first chapter of John. But I encourage you guys, if you're struggling with this idea, or even if you just want to grow in the idea of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a son or a daughter of God, I encourage you to read through the book of John. Because you watch Jesus, how he, is, everything he does, everything he says is so tied into his relationship with the Father, you can't separate it. He says it, he says it almost exactly that way. You can't separate me from the Father. Everything I do is tied to who I am in the Father. And so I believe we have been called first and foremost to be children of God. That's our first calling is to be his kids, to be his children, to be his sons and daughters. And so it, until we grasp that, um, then, then nothing else really finds its proper alignment until you really know what that means to be a child of God and what it means that you are brought into the family of God and what it means that you've been given a spirit of adoption. This is so important. So, so if you want to tackle a book this year, uh, go through the book of John and just read how Jesus relates to the Father and then read, and we're going to read some of it today, how he calls you into that fellowship with the Father as, as his sons and his daughters. I, I want to I make a disclaimer before we go any further. You're going to hear the term sons of God a lot. And I don't want to eliminate half the congregation because I'm saying sons. 
because you have to know that this was not a term meant to exclude the women in the audience. But in that day and age, this was more inclusive than anything else because what they were saying is in, in the day and age that these epistles were written, in the day and age where Jesus walked the earth and the apostles walked the earth, the sons had the rights and the daughters just got married to somebody else who had rights. Okay? That wasn't fair, but that's the way it was. All right? So we're not going to say go back to those days. Thank God we live in a day where, where you know, you women can, can just sit in the same spot as the men, <laughs> that you can have great jobs, and you could be up here speaking just like me today. Um, but in those days, in, those, in that time, the son was the one who had the right of inheritance. And so when he says, all of you are the sons of God, he included the women, which was a radical thought. And so I want you to know why I say sons of God. So you can interpret it as children of God, because it is. But what he's saying, and the reason he uses the term sons, is so that everyone, male and female, know we all have the same rights in Christ. We're all heirs of the same promise. Because in their day, if you were a woman, you didn't have the right of inheritance. You got married to somebody who had his inheritance, but, but your brothers would get the inheritance. In Christ, we are all heirs of the promise. So if, I, if you hear the term sons of God, include yourself in that. If you want to repeat it to yourself and just say children of God, cool. But when I say sons, I want you to know why I'm saying it so that you understand we all have the right of the firstborn son as they would have had back then, which is a pretty big deal. So if you were to write it in our day and age today, probably would have just said children of God. But, but then sons had different rights. And he wants you to know male and female alike because the Bible says in Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, we are all heirs. We are all firstborn sons. So we, we have quite a claim, and, and that's important. So I want to read you something that, that the Scripture says in John chapter 1. You'll find that every gospel, every, all four gospels tell the same story from different angles, and they, they have a sort of a different purpose each one of them. Um, you read through Matthew and you see, a, you see a different slant, a different angle. Certainly, I'd say if I were a Jewish believer coming to Christ, Matthew would be something that would definitely hit me in a different way. But all of us, Jew or Gentile alike, are going to get a whole lot out of Matthew. Mark, you're, you're going to see a lot more miracles. You're going to see, uh, like Matthew, you see a ton of parables, a ton of teaching on that. Mark, you're going to see some, some of the same things, but you're going to see a lot of the miracles. Luke is a historical retelling of what happened. All of these are historical, but Luke wrote it from that historian's perspective. He has the dates and the, and the, the people that were in, in power at the time all lined up. But John takes a step back and, and paints a a picture that I think is important for us as believers because he paints a picture of Jesus as the Son of God and he paints a picture of us being brought into that sonship and it's very important that we get that picture. So the book of John is not just about Jesus being the Son of God. It is, but it's also about you being the children of God and what that means to you today. John chapter 1 It says this in verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So the him here is Jesus himself. The world was made through Christ, but when he came to his own, his, his own people didn't know him. 
He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him. So is this verse referring to you? Yes, yes you've received Jesus, haven't you? Have you received him or you rejected him? You've received him. So this is you. As many as received him. And I love that. That as many is important because what is it, what's it saying is that nobody got turned away. The qualification here was that if you receive, this is your right. As opposed to the idea that many are coming receiving Jesus and he's saying, I like you, I don't like you, I like you, I don't like you. Right? Because the scripture says, Jesus said, when I'm crucified, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all men to myself. So Jesus put the invitation out there to all men, all humanity, drew them to himself. So as many as received him, to them he gave the right. This is important. Because rights and privileges are different, aren't they? You guys unsure about that? I feel that they are. I think that there are things that can be taken away from you because you didn't, you know, you, you blew it. You, you lost your privileges. Your kids might have that. You know, with Moses, he gets to take, he's really a social person. Um, and so he doesn't have any brothers or sisters. And so, yet, uh, so he takes these friends, he calls them, which are just basically all the different stuffed animals and, and characters he has in his room, whether it's Buzz Lightyear or, uh, you know, some dog or something. And he, he used to be able to take one with him to sleep. He negotiated to two, and I've noticed lately it's been three. <laughs> now, that's a privilege because sometimes we wake up in the middle of the night and hear rumbling. We go into his room, and he looks like a deer caught in the headlights. He's over finding another friend, and he's bringing them over. And, you know, he quickly tries to throw them and, and jump into bed and, and act like he's asleep. He's learned how to make a snoring noise, so he thinks, he thinks that fools me. Like he snores like a 60-year-old man when he's faking it. But what happens when we catch him out of bed at midnight is he loses the privilege of those little friends he got to sleep with. Now, it doesn't always work smoothly, <laughs> you know, at midnight taking things away from your child. But, like, that's a privilege, Moses. You don't always get to have these friends. We need you to stay in bed. If you don't stay in bed, we're going to warn you that next time we hear you up, one of these friends has to go back in the toy bag. Or the toy bag needs to go out in the hall so you can't get to it at 1 o'clock in the morning. That's not, he does not have the right to have three friends with him. It's a privilege. Privileges can be taken away. Rights are rights. Am I right? Am I right about the rights? Am I right about the rights? You have basic human rights that are codified into law. Now, your privileges can be taken away. Your privilege, there are, there, are, there are things that we're allowed to do and do freely that could be taken or given back, but you have certain rights. And, uh, you know, I know we're Canadian here, but, you know, when, when our neighbors to the south wrote their uh, Declaration of Independence and, and then later the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but even, even in the early documents, they said, they used the word certain inalienable rights given by the Creator. And the way they wrote that document was that no government could give those rights or take them away because there were certain rights that went above government and went straight to the creator, which you can see why, now, just a little rabbit trail, but you could see why once we remove the creator, 
from the idea of a, of a nation or idea of government, rights fall apart because there are certain rights that are not man-given, they are God-given. So that's why they use the word inalienable, which means no one has the right to take this right away from you. This was given by God. So it's important that we read this just as it's written. That all who received Jesus, to them, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Yeah. Now, if God gave you the right, as Jesus gave you the right, what was the, what was the, what was the qualification for that right? You received him. To as many as received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. So who can take that away from you? Nobody. Nobody. That's Jesus himself gave it to you. So, so no, no religious leader, no, no friend or foe can take that from you. The devil certainly can't take it from you. So here it says, he gave them the right to become. I use the, I use the term be called, but that's wrong. It says, he gave the right to become the children of God even to those who believe in his name. Now, this next part is important too. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I read that two ways. You're born of God, but I also read it this way because he says, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of men. So I believe you could read it and say it this way and not be out of line, that you were born of the will of God. It was the will of God for you to be born again. God wants you in his family. Amen. Like you didn't sneak in. You, there wasn't a loophole where you got in. He's like, ah. I said everybody who jumped on the bus gets to go on the trip. I tried to shut the doors fast and they got in. And they squeezed in. <laughs> got in a loophole. They snuck in line. No, it was the will of God that you become his children. It was God's will. And, and, and I know that sounds simple. Some of you are going, yeah, yeah, elementary. If it's so elementary, and yet for so many of us, that's a stumbling block. You see, we, we believe that we are the children of God. We're just struggling with what level of the children of God we are. Right? Like, um, how many of you have flown a few times on a plane? Fun experience, Yeah. How many of you regularly fly first class? None of us. <laughs> so you'll identify with what I'm about to say. Because when you get on the plane, lately, like United Airlines and, and Delta, some of these airlines have, have this new thing. That's not that new, but they've, they've, they've turned it up a notch. Where the platinum members, the, the first class, maybe sometimes the premium economy, but mainly business class, first class, platinum members, there is a special line for them. Have you ever seen this? And there's this red carpet. And there have been a couple of times we were the last people to get on the plane. The plane was about to take off. We're running to the ticket counter. Nobody's in line. We start to go through the, there's just a velvet rope. On this side are the plebeians, the peasants. And on this side are the nobility that walk on this red carpet, which is basically like a red bath mat. It is, it's dirty, but no, somehow this is royalty. And so we've been late for the plane, running, You're about to go through. And they go, ah, nope, other side. <laughs> so you step to the other side of the velvet rope because my feet aren't worthy to touch that red mat then you sit in coach and what happens when you sit in coach on a long flight you sit in coach and what you see 
is the stewardess come and smile at you? Aren't you precious? Aren't you cute? And then she just smiles, and you see her face slowly closing the curtain <laughs> so that you don't go use their bathroom. And that, that, that those rich folks, now some of you, praise God, God's going to upgrade you to first class. Hallelujah. But, but so you don't, so those people up in first class don't have to feel your dirty eyes on them, right? So there's a <laughs> curtain that closes. Now the Lord's done us some, I mean, he's, we've had his favorite times. We always have his favorite. Psh, we have his favorite. If we're in coach or in first, we always have his favorite. But there's some times, I remember my dad and I got upgraded to first class on a flight from Honolulu to Japan. That was a great experience. But, you know, we felt like, we've, sometimes it's hard not to feel a little snooty, you know, <laughs> Because they really make an effort because what they want is they want you to want to, to wanna buy that ticket. So they make an effort to really show the division between first class and you. And I think I've encountered this in myself. So I'm just going to talk about Jonathan. You can worry about you. But in me, there's times where I go, I know I'm on the plane. I'm just not sure I'm in the same part of the plane as that guy. I know I'm a child of God. But I'm pretty sure there's first class, business class, and coach. And then there's the side of coach where you didn't get your tickets till late and you're seated next to the bathroom. And I feel like sometimes I'm there. You have to know that that's not the case. And this morning, I, I hope to show you through some scripture and let the Holy Spirit reveal this to you, that your place in Christ, your, your sonship, was directly brought to you through Christ, and you, you find it in Christ. So your level of being a child of God is the same level as Jesus Christ himself. Now, if, if at some point what we're talking about today, if you came out of a religious background, and, and, and many of us did, if you came out of a religious background where you knew the scripture or somebody taught you something, but your heart wasn't really there, you maybe didn't have a revelation of what it meant to be born again or, or to be saved by grace through faith. If, if, if you've come out of a religious background, there's probably a few things that Jesus is going to say which will be offensive to your flesh. Ironically, it's your flesh that feels uncomfortable being placed in the same sentence as Christ. And so in John chapter 8, we're not going to read it today, but John chapter 8, there's a whole argument with the religious people in Jesus about who his dad is. And the fact that he said he claims to be the son of God is what they find terribly offensive. Because they said to be called the son of God is to place yourself equal with God. And it was a it was a very frustrating, very offensive thought to them. He said you guys aren't the sons of God, you're not even the sons of Abraham, you're you're sons of the devil. Which is rough, right? They respond with, well, you're son, you're son of a loose woman. Yeah. You're a Samaritan. You have a demon. They threw all those out. So I find, let me just say, once again, I'm going to talk about me. But when I really get a revelation of what Jesus is saying through his word, I'm not going to tell you my opinion. We're going to read his word. Amen. If you really get it, there's a part of you that's going to be, there's a, that old religious part of you is going to be a little offended 
And that's a good thing. Let the religious part of you stumble, trip, and fall away. Let, let God renew your heart so that you can boldly walk into the throne room of God, knowing that I'm here, not by my own doing, but by the blood of Jesus. So that you can boldly and confidently say, I am a child of God. This is who I am. This is what I should do. Because being a child of God, if you read what Jesus says, being a son, being God's son did not just mean I have rights. It meant I have some responsibility here. If I, if, you, if I had a family business and I brought you in and, and I brought, let's say Moses grew up and I brought him into the family business, not only does he say I, I'm an heir of this business, but I have a responsibility as the son to carry out my father's will. So Jesus didn't just see it as a privilege to be the son. He also saw it as his mission. This is who I am. This is what I do. And so you have to know what God's called you to is not just to say someday you're going to get the right to go to heaven and be with him, that he's saying right now you need to start acting like sons and daughters. Right now you need to know who you are because I've got work for you to do. I mean, first of all, he just wants you to be his kids because he wants you to be his kids. But out of that, comes the revelation there are some things he's called you to do you won't be able to do until you fully believe I'm going in here not as a slave but as a son I'm walking into the room a slave has certain parameters but the son has a different job and a different call as we said back in a couple weeks back and and, and throughout our study on Wednesday nights of, of the Israelites and coming into the promised land that all throughout the wilderness God used their different situations as he rescued and delivered and healed them in these different situations. He, in every, in every situation and circumstance, one of these days I'm going to combine those two words and make a sweet situation circumstance, portmanteau, that's going to be one word. <laughs> but in every situation and circumstance they came into, he was training them to stop thinking like slaves and start thinking like kids. Not children, kids, but the children of God. You see it over and over again. He says to Pharaoh, these are, he says, if you touch my firstborn, I'm touching your firstborn. And yet the Israelites never got a revelation that they were God's firstborn. They kept talking like slaves and they treated God like their slave master. Some days I like him because he feeds me, but I don't think he likes me. I think he's, I think I'm cannon fodder. I think I'm a pawn. I think someday he might just decide to kill me in the wilderness. Now, there was a stage in Christian history, if you read throughout certain stages of Christian history, there were people who genuinely desired God and loved God, who thought God desired for them to talk that way, who thought it was holy for them to talk about themselves like they had no worth to God. They thought that was humility. But try this as a simple exercise. What you think is humility and what you think is holy in the way you talk to God, imagine your own children saying it to you. How would you feel? If your children said to you, you don't have to feed me today, it's okay. How would you feel? If your children said, I don't care how many times you beat me, I'll still love you, how would you feel? Any of you feel good about that conversation? If your kids said to me, you just, you know, I know, you, you probably want to smack me. I know you probably want to break my arm. You know, when you break my arm, when you break my arm, I'll still love you. When you put me in the hospital, I'll still love you. Any parent here would feel good about that? Why? 
Because their statements, they, you know, that may sound like that's a statement of humility, but what that is is you're making a statement about your character. You're making the statement about your father or mother's character. And you as a parent do not, would not like that statement. I don't like that statement. Even saying it to you bothers me. Imagine how God feels when we say that back to him. Oh, sure, it sounds humble. Do you know who it sounds good to? It sounds good to other religious folks. And it makes you sound more religious to them. It makes us sound holier. Ironically, in our attempts to be humble, it's our pride that comes out. Watch, I can out, I can out humble you. God could kill my puppy. He could burn my house down. He could kill my children and I'd still be serving him. Well, good for you. But like I said, simple test, apply that to your kids saying it to you. How would you feel? And imagine if they said it to other people. Imagine the shame, the embarrassment as, they, as you're, you get a call from their teacher one day. So uh, I heard some interesting things from Moses today. What would you hear? Well, he said, <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but he said, when you beat him, he still loves you. <laughs> I've never beat him. I asked him if he knew he was going to get a meal today. He said, no, I never know if I'm going to get a meal. My parents don't owe me anything. Well, they've given enough for me already. If I starve, it's okay. I mean, I'm going to feel upset with my kid now because now I look bad. I don't think we're doing God any favors by talking this way. So let's be honest. How should we talk about God? How should we speak to him? I propose to you, let's just learn from the number one son. Do you want to learn how to be a child of God? Like, do you want to learn how, to, how we should interact with a father? Let's just look at Jesus. I'm not asking you to take my word or my opinion. I'm asking you to look at Jesus and say, how did Jesus interact with the father? Because the truth is, and this is what we're going to see throughout this section, these uh, few sections of scripture this morning, is that I hope you'll walk away from here saying, I am not a child of God by my will. I'm not a child of God by my doing. I have been brought into sonship and to being a a son, a daughter of the king through Christ. And I am that in Christ. So I'm, that's, that's the section of the plane I'm sitting in. Let's just read this again. He said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become You've been given the right to become something. That means you were changed into a child of God. To become the child of God, children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So what what does that really mean? That means there was nothing you could do in your flesh. No willpower. Not the will of man. You couldn't desire it enough. But of the will of God. You were born of God, by the will of God. Anybody here can reverse the will of God? I'd like to see you try. Let's just look at this in Galatians. Now, (laughs) The way I've been talking in the last 10 minutes, 
sounds like I'm just starting the message. We're actually fully into it. I saw some people, or I felt a certain cringe in, <laughs> when I said, what we're about to talk about, and you're like, it's 1140. Are you about to talk about that right now? <laughs> we'll take what time we need, but don't you worry. <laughs> you know, you know, sometimes I laugh. If anybody thinks I preach long, you, you, <laughs> you're new here, aren't you? <laughs> I remember my stomach growling, thinking the service is going late and hearing, okay, that's the end of the offering. Let's take our offering up. And we hadn't even started the message. We had what we call the two taper. Two, sometimes three tapes. <laughs> First time I got up and preached in Loon Lake, I thought I had to go an hour and 20 minutes. I thought that's what I had to do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, thank God. All right. Galatians 3.23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. He's talking to Jewish people here. Being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. That word for tutor is what we might call a pedagogue today. That's somebody whose job it was to be a teacher of children. And he's saying the old covenant and the, and the law that we were raised under had a purpose. Its purpose was to bring us to a place where we would accept this faith in Christ. That purpose is done. We're no longer kids. We're being brought into something. And so those kids in that, in that system, you weren't fully an heir yet. I mean, you were going to be, but you were like a prince who was being trained up. So you had a tutor assigned to you. Now, this is, these are like well-off families. They'd have a tutor who would raise these kids and teach them things and train them, but they hadn't fully stepped into their inheritance yet. Once they became a man, then they transitioned to a place. You're a man now. Now you have the rights as a son. But they didn't have full rights then. Even though they were the sons and daughters, even though they were the kids, they did not have the same rights until they reached a certain age. So he's saying that was our teacher, that was our tutor, that was our, 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 our pedagogue, our tutor at the time that we were brought up under. But he says, for you are all, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God. Now remember, he's writing to men and women alike. You are all sons of God through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, baptized means to be immersed, to dunk. There's not a part of you that's not absorbed into Christ. To be baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. So you are completely clothed in him. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So if Jesus is the kind of son that sits in the first class of his father's plane, in other words, that's the level of son he is. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about first class like, oh, this is where I get a meal and this is a bigger seat. I'm saying if, he, if that's the, the level of son he is, you know, he's beloved, he's, he's firstborn, he's got the rights 
And your sonship is not separate from Christ. It's in Christ. You're clothed with Christ. You are baptized in Christ. Where do you figure you're sitting? Right with him. In him. So you have to understand, this is my level of, of, of being a child of God. This is where I'm at. I am at the level where I can say, I'm sitting where Jesus is sitting. I, I, can, I can talk like Jesus talked. I'm walking as Jesus walked. Now listen, you'll never take Jesus' place. Jesus is the master, the king, king of kings, lord of lords, all of that. We understand that. But the name he gave you was not your name, was not the name of one of his associates. The name he gave you and told you to use was his name. Understand what that means to you be, be, have the right to be given the name of Jesus. That means that whether it's heaven or hell, earth, above the earth, on the earth, or beneath the earth, you carry the authority that Jesus carried. Amen. Now that still shocks me a bit when I hear it. If I really believe it, it still shocks a little part of me. And I'm glad that little part of me gets shocked. Go ahead, shock away. Because that's the part of me that still feels like, mm, I don't know if I can pray this way. Mm, I don't know. Why? Because I've been around enough religious folks that somehow that feels arrogant. Right? It feels like, oh, I probably shouldn't. Uh, uh. But listen, would you rather look holy to everybody else or would you rather obey what God told you to do? Are you trying to please people? Are you trying to please God? See, if we want to know what pleases God, I think it's just walking after Jesus, following Jesus, doing what he says. You want to please God, there's going to be some people upset with you. And in fact, he says that right in this, in this book. Paul said that if we were trying to please people, we could not be bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, who are the people he's saying we might displease? It wasn't the Gentiles. It was the religious folks of the time. It was the hardcore Jewish folk that were still saying, yeah, we're Christians, but... Let's not go too far, right? Let's not go too far. So this is going to be a little offensive to my flesh because my flesh still wants to see myself as an individual. My flesh has to learn everything I am is hidden in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Now, there's a part of you that doesn't like that and will find religious reasons not to like that. Because I still want to be my own thing. I want to be my own person. But I don't think any of these guys had any problem saying, I'm fully wrapped up in him. And if whatever I am is in him. That's a, that's a freeing thing, not a, not a, a statement of bondage. Yeah. So we've clothed ourselves with Christ. We're sons of God through faith. We're sons and daughters of God by the will of God. Then he says this in chapter 4. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. So this is what we were talking about. This is somebody who, you know, ha is, is the rightful born son, and you're going to grow up and get everything that your dad has. But while you're at that certain age, you have the same rights as the servants that work in the house because you're still a kid. Well, you guys know, don't give your kid the credit card. I don't care how many times you watched Home Alone 2, don't give your kid the credit card. 
Probably more if you saw Home Alone 2. Like, don't give your kid the credit card. He says, we're not kids anymore. We're not babies anymore. We've been brought to maturity in Christ. So, when we were in the old covenant, he's saying, we were sons. But we didn't have the rights as sons. We were still, in many ways, like a servant, like a slave, because we're still being trained up. But then he says this. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, I've said this before, but this is the most radical adoption you've ever gone through. This is not, you must be adopted. You don't look anything like your parents. You must be the adopted one. You don't fit in. This is a radical adoption in which we were born all over again with the DNA, the genetic code, the the everything from our father. The Bible says in Colossians that we've been recreated to be like him in likeness of holiness of the truth, that the new self looks just like our dad. And then it says this. So it says he would redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no... Now, that Abba is is this term of affection. And in fact, you could just tell, the, the Abba is not a Greek word, it's a Hebrew word. This letter was written in Greek, right? This letter was written in Greek, but the writer, who is the Apostle Paul, switches from Greek... He's using the Greek word for father. He's using the Greek word for sons, but he puts Abba in there because that is the term. That's the term of affection for him. That's the word he used for his dad when he was a kid. This is, this is something that means so much to him. He says, now we have received the spirit. God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Now, I, wanna, I just want to point this out. And this is something I'm embarrassed to admit just came alive to me recently. But what I had never seen before, I had always believed that I'm a son of God through Christ. I'm his son. I'm, his, I'm adopted in his family. But what I had never seen, even though I, I kind of knew it on some level, it just didn't come alive to me until recently. I was reading this over again. And, and saw that part where it says, he sent forth the spirit of his son, in which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the spirit that cries out, you're my dad, is, is the spirit of Christ. Is, that's the spirit of Jesus. That's the spirit he had. So it cries out in me, not that I'm a lesser son. Not that I am somewhere down the totem pole. This is the same sonship that Jesus had. That's crying out in me. I received the spirit of his son into me. So if so you were just as much a son as Jesus was. Amen. And he put his spirit in you. Not a lesser spirit. Not a junior spirit. Not, not a spirit associate. But like his spirit. The spirit of his son is the spirit in you that says this is my dad. So when I'm operating out of that spirit, 
I'm just as confident in who I am in my father as Jesus was when he walked the earth. I'm just as confident when I pray. I'm just as confident when I speak. I'm just as confident when I look up and know that I'm pleasing to God because I stand clothed in Christ, baptized into Christ. That's radical to me. And it still offends a part of me. Thank God. Thank God that the flesh is being chipped away and we're seeing ourselves through the eyes of the Spirit. Now, there are folks down the street, Joe witnesses Mormons, that try to take away from the divinity of Christ. I could call them out here because, you know, this is not the same as calling out another church. These people believe something elementally different than us on who Jesus is. That Jesus wasn't truly divine. He wasn't truly the Son of God, capital S. That's not what we're saying today. For us to be called his children, sonship in Christ takes nothing away from him. Right? I, I, I love it. Pastor Tracy preached a message and I couldn't do it justice if I tried to re-preach it. But he, he brought out a, a simple message. Well, nothing simple from Pastor Tracy. But he brought out a message that, that impacted me so much when he began to talk about how because of the infinite nature of God and the infinite greatness of God, for us to be brought up a level and called his kids and called heirs and called co-laborers with Christ and called partakers of the divine nature could not take anything away from God. In fact, it did the opposite. It only added to who he was. We, we, we think, now listen, if, if you took some water out of this bottle and said, I want you to have some of this water, and I want you to have some of this water, and I filled up other glasses with this bottle. This bottle would have less water because it filled up other glasses, right? But God is not like this bottle. He's infinite. So when he pours into us his nature, when he pours into us his love, his goodness, that's the problem. It's water. Had I tried to do this with chocolate milk, maybe you'd have a case. I believe there's a scripture about the women remaining quiet. I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. So for me to pour out this water into a glass, pour out this water in a glass, this, this bottle is diminished. But God is infinite. He's not like a bottle. He's like a, a wellspring that never runs dry. So for him to pour his nature, his goodness, for him to raise you up and seat you in heavenly places with Christ takes nothing from him. It adds to who he is. Now you could say, well, if he's infinite, how can I add to him? Let him tell you that. That is beyond my understanding. That is beyond, but he has called us to his family. Thank God. So we can't take away anything from his greatness. He'll always be king of kings, lord of lords. He will always be master, savior. He will always be the head of the body. You know, there's never a scripture, even though you're in Christ, there's never a scripture that says you're the head of the body. It's always Christ. But in Christ, we've been seated with him in heavenly places. In Christ, I mean, look at the times. Just those of you who've got a Bible app on your phone, sometimes search in quotes, in Christ. And read how many times in the New Testament he refers to you and, and tells you this is how we live in Christ. 
clothed and baptized into him. And I want to read you one more thing as we wrap this up. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays this prayer. John 17 verse 1 says, Jesus spoke these sayings, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've manifested or revealed, uncovered your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now, they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. That's huge, right? Same words that the Father gave to Jesus are the words that he gave to you. And they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but on those that you've given me, for they're yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I've been glorified in them. So look, watch how Jesus relates to the Father. Everything you have is mine. Everything I have is yours. Good thing the Pharisees weren't around for this little prayer, hey? I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are, that they would be one in the same way that the Father and the Son are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that's Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So when he says, even as, you have to hear it like he means it, in the exact same way. So they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. That wasn't true until we came to Jesus. That wasn't true until we were born again. I was very much of the world before I was born again. You were very much of the world before you were born again. But now he says, they're no more of the world than I am. Would any of you say that Jesus was not the son of God? Would any of you say that Jesus was purely born of the will of flesh, the will of man? No. Any of you think that Jesus was the child of Joseph and Mary? No. We believe in the virgin birth. Now, you have earthly parents, don't you? You're not going to walk out of here and go, I guess I was born of a virgin. I didn't know that. No, you weren't. (laughs) But when you're born again, your spirit is just as much not of this world as Jesus. And the spirit, that's who you really are. So, I'm no more of the world than, than Jesus was. And then he says this, but now I come to you and these things, uh, we, we read that already. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, 
even as I am not of the world. You're, so Jesus, I mean, this may make you uncomfortable, but Jesus, you know, our, our religious nature, Jesus puts his arm around us and puts us close, and our religious nature says, I shouldn't be touching you. We try to, we try to wiggle away, and he just keeps, in this prayer, just keeps... Pulling you close and says, no, you're with me. Oh, I don't feel, I don't think so. Yep, you're with me. You ever been with somebody important and they told you to walk in the room with them and you're like, no, no, I can't go in that room. That room's for important. I can't go in that room. That's not me. And they go, oh, you're with me. No, 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 no. I'll stay out here and wait for you. No, no, you're coming in with me. Then he says this. So they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, just like you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. In the same way that the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sent you. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may be sanctified in truth. What does the word sanctified mean? Set apart. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Oh, that's where I'm included here. See, if it didn't have that verse, you might be, make the argument that he's just talking about the 11 disciples that are left. But he says, I'm not just asking for those disciples that are with me in the garden here. I'm asking for all who believe through the word that they preach. That's the book you're holding in your hand there. Right. Then it says this, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us. In the same way that Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in Jesus, he wants you to be in Jesus and in the Father. The same way. Not, not different. Are you noticing any differences here? Are you noticing any loopholes where you can be just like a second class person in this, in this family? No. In the same way that you and I are one, I want them to be one with us. That the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you've given to me, I gave to them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. I know this isn't the first time you've heard this, guys, but this still stands out to me as a radical statement. Because as many times as I say this, there's still a part that says that can't possibly be true. He says, you love them. In the same way you loved me. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you actually believe that? <laughs> Lee believes that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, Lee, but Lee believes that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that. The Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. It sounds wrong, doesn't it? If you were raised in a religious atmosphere, it still sounds wrong. I was raised in a good home that preached this stuff. I don't know where I got it, but it still is just a part of me that goes, that can't be right. That's that old nature that, that tries to come in and tell you and, and, and convince you. Because listen, the, all, all the devil's got to do is just convince you that you are just a normal person trying your best. But he's absolutely terrified of the sons and daughters of God being revealed. He's absolutely terrified of us figuring out who we are. I mean, it's like the old movies where the, the prince doesn't know he's a prince. And somebody tells him, and they're trying to hide the fact that he's a prince because if he figures it out, he's going to lead a rebellion. 
He's going to overthrow the pretender on the throne. He's going to take his place. Like, I think the enemy's just terrified that we'd figure out who we are in Christ. Just absolutely terrified, but we are. You love them the same way you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am. Wait a second, Jesus, you're about to leave. But he's saying, I want them to be with me. I want them to abide in me. I want them to be glorified with me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is tying your fate to the Father's love for him and at the eternal nature of that love. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which with, you, with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. If we bring anything out of what we talked about today, I pray that it would be that you understand your sonship, your, your daughtership, if that's a word, in Christ, you're, the, the fact that you are a child of God is not separate from Christ. It's all wrapped up in Christ. So you were born of his will. You were brought into the family of his will. He wanted you there. You didn't sneak in. He wanted you as part of his family. You were ordained to be part of that family. You have the right, not just the privilege that could go away. You have the right to be called a child of God. You have the right to act like a child of God. Now, if there's a part of you that's worried that what about pride, right? There's a little part of us. What about that pride? Ooh, what if I get proud? I mean, ooh, you're talking like, you know, this sounds a little uncomfortable. Was there anybody more humble than Jesus? But do you see Jesus walking around going, I'm not sure if I can ask this father, but uh, would you mind healing this person? Like me, I mean, I... Please? I don't know if I can ask this. He didn't say, people say, who are you? He didn't didn't go, well, shucks, I don't know. I'm just a guy from Galilee. (laughs) He knew who he was. Was there anyone more humble than Jesus? Why are you trying to be more humble than Jesus? You can't be more humble than Jesus. The only thing you can do is put on a nice act that looks more humble, which is actually a manifestation of pride. Oops. Right? (laughs) You want to get rid of your pride? Just be who he told you 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 are. This is who you are. Get rid of your pride. Stop trying to be so holy. Just be like Jesus. That's holy. That's the most holy you could be. Right? You ever heard the term gilding the lily? Do you know what that means? That means taking a, a lily that's so beautiful and God created it wonderful and slapping gold paint on it. And saying, it's prettier now because it's got gold. The old term was, you can't make a lily more beautiful. God created it that way. Putting gold on it doesn't make it more beautiful. It makes it less. So we're gilding the lily when we take God's humility and God's holiness and we try to add our own spin on it. You can't make it better. You can't make it any more humble. You can't make it any more holy. Let's just be like Jesus. Because that's what we were called to be, like him. He said, follow me, walk in my footsteps. And I look at the apostles, and, and I've said this, and I'll say it again. There was no contradiction to them that they could first and foremost be called the sons of God, and at the same time be bond servants of Christ. Right? There's no contradiction to them. 
That, that means that they understood my right, my position, my place as, as a child of God, but I'm laying my life down as a bondservant saying, I, I don't live for myself anymore. I live for you. And I believe that true humility is finding where those two things flow together without contradiction. Where you can say, I've laid my life down. It's not my own. I'm not living for me. I'm living for him who died for me. But I'm not, I, just as I'm not living for me, I don't use my name in prayer. I don't use my name. I'm not walking into the grocery store using my credit card. I'm using his. Now, I'm not actually talking about going to the grocery store. Don't. Don't try to use the church credit card or whatever. <laughs> what I'm saying is when you go to the Father, you are going in his authority. When you cast out evil spirits, you're, you're doing it in his authority. When you are living your life, you're living in the name of Jesus. You are living in Christ. Let's embrace that. I think everything good comes from that. I think all the good fruit that we could possibly produce comes from knowing who we are so just bring it back to that original statement. To him, he gave the right, not just to be called, not just to act like, but to truly become the children of God. What you become, you become what, like what you behold. And the scripture says, now are we the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Now are we the children of God. The only thing that's going to change about that is you're going to trade this body for a glorified body. And people, the world will see you for who you really are. When we see him in that moment, we'll be changed. But we are now the children of God. Amen. Stand up with me. Let's pray.